Uh, can you turn with me to Romans? This is our text for tonight. Romans chapter 8, and we'll pick up where we left off. Romans chapter 8, take a look at verse 5, give you a chance to find it. As you know, we've been spending time in Romans because if you are right about the things in Romans, you won't be wrong about just about anything. This is the doctrinal pearl of the Bible, and so we've been reflecting on it in a rather slow and painstaking way, and I hope it's been profitable. There's truth in Romans, and this truth can correct our theological errors. So here's what it says, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh... Well, folks, trust me, that is not a reference to Christians who simply have fallen away or uh, carnal Christians, sometimes we call them. I think you'll see as we examine the context, this is a reference to those who are apart from Christ. Those who are in view here, those who are according to the flesh, that's a reference you'll see to non-believers, unsaved people, folks who either have not heard the gospel or who have heard it and have rejected it. They are characterized here by Paul this way. They are called those who are according to the flesh. They are unsaved people, in other words, under the influence, living in the atmosphere of that which is fleshly material, visible, uh, temporal. Uh, they don't have a sense of that which is really spiritual and eternal. They're caught up in the here and now. They're unsaved people. They don't have an eternal perspective. And what characterizes these, if you look to the next phrase, is this. They are those who are according to the flesh and they set their minds on the things of the flesh. It isn't so much that they do this in a deliberate way. It just comes naturally because they're enveloped by the flesh. That means to say their earthly existence. They're, they're bounded by the here and now. They don't get up in the morning and in a conscious way say, I will focus on the material and disregard the spiritual. I will focus on the temporal and disregard the eternal. They don't actually do that. They don't have to. It just comes naturally. The essence of their being is to be firmly planted on earth and they have no real specific interest nor concept in what might come after. They don't think about the next phase of things after they die. They just leave it up to whomever or whatever is out there. It's not on their heart and mind to think about doing that which is pleasing God. They may state a belief in God but it's probably not the God of the Bible at all. They're not inhabited by his spirit. They're inhabited by flesh. That's what character. It's not so much that all that they do is bad and sinful and evil. I didn't say that. They might be moral and ethical in many ways, but all that consumes them has to do with this life. They have a beginning. That's their birth. They have an ending. That's their death. They try to get all the gusto in between. They live for the here and now, and they don't worry about the sweet by and by. They run into people like you who have this notion of a paradise being in the presence of the creator 
giver of life one day, and they say, that's nice. I'm glad that makes you happy. But they're indifferent to it all. They just want to get up. They want to have a good job. They want to pay the mortgage payment, have a nice car. These are not bad things. I didn't say they're bad, but they're time bound. They're contained in this space-time dimension. They know of no other reality but the reality of the day at hand. Concrete things are reality to them. Spiritual things make no sense to them whatsoever. They are apart from Christ, but thank God there's an option. And by his grace, another group of people, they're called Christians, have been able to exercise that option. They've chosen him as over against rejecting him. They're called Christians. Oh, they aren't perfect or perfected yet, by no means, but they're under the domination of a different influence now, not the flesh. They are ones who are dominated now by the very spirit of God. And so you see, the text says, there are some who set their minds on the things of the flesh, but there are others. They're called saved people or Christians who are according to the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God. And what they do is to set their minds, look what it says, not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. So here you have humankind divided into it's two most basic categories. It's not male, female, rich, poor, black, white, Jew, Gentile. No, it's those who set their mind either on the flesh, those are unsaved people, or on the spirit, those are Christians, those are saved ones. Here's the point. Everybody's under the influence. Did you know that? You're under the influence of one principle or another. It's either the flesh or the spirit. It cannot be both. It's not possible for your mind to be focused on both at the same time. Your thoughts are either filled, oriented, focused on the things of the spirit or on the things of the flesh. So you have two different people groups. Those who are according to the flesh are mastered by fleshly inclinations. They think in terms of the here and now only. They make decisions on the basis of what feels good today. The only reality they know is the concrete material reality. They don't know of anything. If they don't see it, it doesn't exist. That's one group, but the other group knows. Oh, no, the real reality is the scene behind the scenes where God dwells, transcendent deity. They know of spiritual things. In fact, they're indwelt by the very spirit of God. And so you see, everyone is under the influence of one or the other of these principles. And I ask you this question. It's an easy one because it only leads to one or the other answer. Which is it for you? I guess that's the question I'd like for you to answer to yourself. You're under the influence of which principle, even as you sit here tonight? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Now, if you dare to tell me it's both, we need to talk. You missed the introduction I just gave. It can't be a both and. It's not possible. You're either walking according to the flesh and thereby your thoughts are set on the things of the flesh or you're walking according to the spirit of God and your thoughts are on the spirit of God. So I ask you, which is it for you? You're either mastered, you see, by what the flesh desires or what the spirit of God desires. Which is it for you? And can you know for sure? Yes, you can. Here's how. Uh, simply examine your mind. Do it yourself. Examine your mind. 
what predominates your thinking. I introduced you to three who in very diverse ways still have this in common. Their thinking is predominated by an intense interest in doing that which gives pleasure to the God who suffered and died for them. They want to put shoe leather on what he has put on their hearts and they want to extend themselves in diverse way to needy people so that those needy people may see the love of almighty God and might come to know him just as they do. Their thinking is mastered, don't you see, by the spirit of God in them. What predominates in your thinking? In other words, what is the bent of your life? Are you living for the flesh or, it can't be both, are you living for the flesh or for the spirit? In other words, what is your mind set? What are your values? Where do they come from? What are your desires? What's your purpose and goal in life? What predominates your thinking? Folks, you're either governed by the things of the flesh, earthly, visible, material, uh, temporary things, or you are governed by the things of the Spirit. These are permanent, eternal, non-material things. What is your orientation? What is your mindset? Now, if your mindset is as it always has been, if there has not been in your life a mindset change attributable to your acceptance of Christ, then I have to tell you, you have no evidence of having accepted Christ. Isn't that a very dramatic, abrasive thing to tell you? If your mindset is today what it always has been, and you cannot attribute a change in your thinking to the time when you accepted Christ, then you don't have sufficient evidence of ever having sincerely accepted Christ. You see, the reason I could say that so dogmatically is upon asking this Jesus to inhabit us, to take us up, to forgive our sins and to come into our life, we receive, he bequeaths to us his mind. We receive the mind of Christ and things ought to, from that point on, begin to be noticeably different. Uh, folks, I used to think entirely differently about everything. I don't want to call undue attention to myself, but I want to use myself as an example. We're mostly adults here, so I'll use the sex word, and that way it'll wake up many. Folks, I used to, like you, think differently about sex. I missed it entirely. I thought it's a purely physical thing, no different than that activity engaged in by lesser creatures, animals. I didn't see it to be something reserved for the context of marriage at all. I didn't see that at all. I saw that you could compartmentalize it, actually. You could have physical relations, but you could be married, and they don't have to come together. They don't have to crisscross. That made perfect sense to me. You know, if God gave you the equipment, use it. That made, I'm just going to tell you, the reason I'm not ashamed to tell you that is you're the same way for crying out loud. That's the old mindset. Don't you see? That's the mindset on the flesh. If it feels good, do it. I used to think entirely differently about money. Now, here's a Jewish guy. This is sort of my favorite topic, as you might imagine. Money is not something you really give away. Money is something you earn so that you could keep it. 
and you keep it so that you can tell others how much you done kept. And if you kept more than they done kept, that's a measure of your worth. In fact, we use the expression, how much are you worth? And then you just tell them what your stock portfolio is. That's what money is. You don't, the thought of deriving pleasure from giving money, uh, from investing in what God Almighty is doing uh, of an eternal kind, th that thought is, was just a foreign to my mindset. Are you kidding me? Things changed. I have a totally different mindset uh, about, about money. What about recreation? I used to have a different mindset about rec recreation is a right. You know what I mean? I mean, there aren't people needs, but you all have to wait. I have to recreate first. And by the way, the way I recreate is my business. I didn't put any bounds on the way I recreate. I don't care what the rating of that movie is. For crying out loud, if I want to see it, I don't care how many X's there are. I'm, I'm just recreating. You know what I mean? I have a right to my recreation. I work hard all week long. I deserve a break today. I mean, that was the view of recreation. You had it too, for crying out loud. I'm speaking to... We're all chickens in this coop. I used to have a, I used to have a different notion about, about life entirely. I thought this is all there is. You're born, you die, that's it. Eternity, what are you talking about? There's no evidence, there's no basis for it. Get whatever you can. This is all there is. That was it. Everything I thought of was confined to this life and nothing more. I used to have an entirely different attitude about uh, me. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what I was thinking, but I don't know where my notion of self-image, you know, self-worth, self-esteem, all those self-words, I don't know where they all came from, for crying out loud. They came from performance and people's approval. Yeah, that's how it is. That's you too. That's how we get to feel good about ourselves. We do things to evoke people's approval. That's an addiction. Did you know that? It's an approval addiction. And, 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 then, and then we perform. We jump through hoops. You see what I mean? Because if you get A's, if you get a good job, if you win the athletic event, you perform. Then you can feel good about you. Things changed when the Lord Jesus took me up into his arms and adopted me as a son and now I realize oh my goodness my worth has nothing to do with people's approval or personal performance it has to do with the fact that I've created in the image of God I didn't know this created in the image of God think about it and on top of it he took me warts and all as a son into his forever family and so my self-image is a function of whose I am and who I belong to and all of, that's all, that's a different mind. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. I'm just checking it out. I'm wondering, because after the sex talk, I lost you. You know, I used to have a different mindset, just like you, about forgiveness. Forgiveness is for wimps. What do you mean forgiveness? Now, revenge. That's what we're into. Revenge, for crying out loud. You wrong me, I will wrong you. That made sense. Revenge has a feeling of strength to it. You rendered me weak by taking something away from me. I'll show you how strong I am. I'll exact a greater penalty from you. You see what I mean? But if you said, no, forgive. You, you're a forgiven one, Stuart. Forgive. What are you? That's a whole different thing. But once I got gospelized, you know what that means? Good newsed then I decided to be an emissary of good news. And because I realized, oh my goodness, God who had such a strong case against me, let me off his hook, I thought, how dare I not let those who have wronged me off my hook? Have you experienced something like that? That's a different, nobody? Okay, good, two. Folks, that's a different mindset. How about abortion? You know, abortion used to make sense to me. 
I mean, for crying, you know what I mean? Chuck, 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 look, you got a young couple. They made a mistake. They already got two kids. It's economically not feasible. They can't do, you know, you get all these rationalizations, that kind of deal. And then the doctor said the child may have a tendency of having a birth defect. Oh, we don't have any room for, I mean, abortion made perfect sense to me. It appeared to a mind set on the floor. I mean, something happened when I accepted Christ. See, I got the mind of Christ. I didn't attend seminars. On, uh, on any of this stuff. Somehow the mind of Christ, I was inhabited by his spirit. You, know, you get his values. You know what he values? Life. The sanctity of life made in his image and everything changed in my mind about the subject of, of abortion. How about the Bible? The Bible, oh, it's filled with errors. You know, it's nice stuff. It's got some good moral teaching in it, but it's God's word. It's not God's word. Oh, and then after accepting Christ, I began to read the Bible for crying out loud. I felt like I was taken up into the heavenlies. This was not the words of mere men. This was inspired by God. Good night. It had a, a dynamic to it so that when I read it, I felt like it was speaking to me. Have you had that experience for Christ? That didn't happen to me. You can read William Shakespeare. That's inspired in a different way. William is not speaking to me. William doesn't know me. But the author of the Bible knows me. And what he says, he can just enliven and somehow target areas in, doesn't it say that in the Bible? It's piercing as far as the this and the that, and it knows the intentions and the thoughts of the heart. Good night. So I developed a totally different attitude towards the, towards the Bible. All this, Israel. Well, I can't leave out Israel. You'll think I'm sick. So here's the deal. I confess this to our iConnect classes on Sunday. When I was a Jew whose mind was according to the flesh, set on the flesh, I had no interest in Israel. If you said to me, Israel, what do I know from Israel? I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in New York. I'm a New Yorker. We grew up on the streets. We steal hubcaps. What do I know about Israel where they have camels and stuff like that? Hummus. What's hummus? Are you kidding me? We eat pizza where I'm from. So I had no notion but then I became a Jew whose mind, by God's grace, ceased to be dominated by the flesh, now was inhabited by the very mind of Christ, and I developed an intense interest in love for Israel. You say, of course, you're a Jew. No, but I'm, I'm telling you, I was a Jew who had no interest in Israel. I got a new mindset for crying out loud. I attributed to the Lord Jesus. Well, here's my, here's my point in sharing all that stuff with you. Though I sin, so do you, the sinning is not any longer the truest expression of my nature. It used to be the truest expression of my nature. Now, sin is the exception to the rule. It's an enemy I still have to deal with for crying out loud. You know what I mean? It's not been entirely eradicated, but I'm not under its mastery, domination, or influence anymore. If you call yourself a Christian, everything I'm saying ought to be in some measure true of you as well. But here's the point. Your worldview must be different if you are truly born anew. Your worldview, we can use that term, a lot of people use it, has to be different because you have now the mind of Christ. You didn't get it from learning, from reading books, or anything like that. I'm telling you, when you were born anew, God implanted his very spirit in you. Good night. How can you house transcendent deity and you not be changed? 
If someone tells me I'm a Christian, but they have a worldview mindset just like everybody else, I, I doubt their salvation, and I want them to doubt it as well. Till there's evidence of regeneration, you should not count on it, it seems to me. Now, folks, as has been mentioned, there are only two mindsets. So one is a mindset on the flesh, and the other is a mindset on the spirit. And each different mindset leads to very different outcomes. Here they are, verse 6. The mindset on the flesh is death. You mean, think of death, you think it's like a future reality, right? The mindset on the flesh, you think this should read, will end up in death? This says, is death. You know what that means? The unsaved person is already dead. Is the walking dead? The unsaved person is physically alive, but spiritually dead. What is death? Death is that which separates. The dead, unsaved person is separated from God and from the life. The giver of life wants that person to live. Death is a present reality. It will lead ultimately into eternal separation. But it's already begun now for the person apart from Christ. But here's the alternative. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. When you accept the Lord Jesus, you for the first time ever finally can begin the experience of living the life you were intended to live. You never lived it before. You were a dead man. You were a dead woman. But upon accepting Christ, there's life. But there's not just life. There's life lived in such fashion that the one living it is at peace with the giver of life. The unsaved person is not at peace with the giver of life. Is an adversary, is at odds with God. When you accept Christ, his son, the father's son, as the mediator between you and almighty God, you not only have the life he gives, you're at peace with him as you live it out. Could I tell you something? I don't fear my heavenly father. I don't fear him. Why? Because his perfect love has cast out my fear. I don't fear him. I walk with him. I love to walk with him. I don't talk to him all the time. Emily is so right. Emily, I don't do this mechanically. I don't go through the motions. For cry I don't have to. For crying out loud, I'm at peace with God. It's a want-to relationship. It's not a have-to relationship. Do you have that? I'm telling you, that's the fruit of the mind set on the spirit. Life and peace. Now, why is it that the one whose mind is set on the flesh, dead to God? Well, verse 7 tells us, look, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Why? For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. <clears throat> See the word subject, Greek word, meaning to order or arrange under a higher authority, like a commanding officer in the military. Uh, the mind set on the flesh, the mind of the unregenerated, unsaved person, it is not under the authority of God. The mind set on the flesh wants its own will. It wants to be its own master. And not only that, its nature is such that it cannot subject itself to God. It's not able, to, it's not only inclined to resist God's will, it doesn't even have the capacity to do anything about it. You see, it's dead toward God. Folks, here's the point. In the flesh, we cannot please God. 
Even if the flesh is doing religious things, it still cannot please God. That's what it says in verse 8. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There is nothing an unsaved person can do to please God. No good works, no religious observances, no sacrificial services, absolutely nothing. The flesh can never please God. And that statement is very, very difficult for most people to accept. They say, well, that person's not a Christian, but is a very good person, gives money to the poor, does good deeds. When the person is not a Christian, but is a very religious person, goes to the mosque every Friday, goes to the synagogue every Saturday, goes to wherever, who knows. Well, he's a very religious, very moral person. It's very hard to us, for us to accept that a person in the flesh, no matter what that person does, cannot please God. Why not? The only way to truly please God the Father is contingent on a right response to God's Son. Do you have children? Anybody have children or grandchildren? How do you take to someone who rejects your children or grandchildren, who abuses your grandchildren or children, who demeans, who humiliates, who ignores those who are close? How do you respond to that? Let's give God a break. It all is a function of what we do. That's what he's going to ask us. What have you done? How have you responded to my son? You but I'm religious. I didn't ask you that. But I don't cheat on my income tax. But I didn't ask you that. I sing in the choir. I didn't ask you. What have you done with my son? Until the right response is rendered to the son of God, there's nothing we can render to Father God that will please him. Only the right response to the son. Now, verse 9, we'll close with this. However you, those two words just turned me on. See, we've been talking about bad news. But now this starts, however you. You know what that means? There's an exception. You, Christians, you are different. These are grand words by Paul. He, in these words, is distinguishing the you from the them. The them are according to the flesh, spiritually dead. However, you, that's a reference to those who, are accept, who have accepted Christ. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Those are the only two options, either in the flesh or in the spirit. You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit if, indeed, the spirit of God dwells in you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not tampering with the text. I think based on the next phrase I'll read to you, we could render what I just read to you, not if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do I get off saying that? Look at the next phrase. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That tells me one of the marks of belonging to Christ is to have his spirit in you. That is true of every single Christian. You don't go hunting for the spirit. He's inside of you. This is absolutely true, and that means you belong to him. If you have his spirit in you, and every Christian does, you belong to him. In other words, without the spirit of God in you, there can be no salvation. 
And without evidence of the Spirit of God in you, there can be no assurance of salvation. You see what I'm getting at? Without the Spirit of God in you, there can be no salvation. And without the evidence of the Spirit of God in you, there can be no assurance of salvation. If, however, there is evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in you, the power of the Spirit in you, the gifts of the Spirit in you, then you have a basis upon which you could be assured of your salvation. But if there's no such evidence, maybe you shouldn't be so sure that you're saved. Maybe you're not. Folks, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit is not out there somewhere. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what the text says. He's taken a permanent residence in you. And he will stay in you as God's seal of ownership until the day when you enter into the very little, literal, very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And herein lies the essential difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. It's not necessarily morals and ethics and philosophies. It's this. The non-Christian is not inhabited by the Spirit of God, all flesh. The Christian has the Spirit of God inside. It is the very presence of God himself in us, dwelling in us permanently, that makes the difference. This is the distinguishing factor between the believer and the non-believer. The Holy Spirit is not just out there barking commands at us. That's what religion does. Oh, no. He's inside, working in us a new heart and a new mind, little by little, more and more, daily conformed to the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we get to the point where we're seeing a growing delight in doing what Almighty God wants us to do and a growing disdain for doing that which displeases him. Are you seeing that in full measure? I didn't say that. We're all pilgrims on a journey. But if you're not seeing a new mindset eventually unfolding itself, gradually, daily unfolding itself in your life, um, you don't have evidence of the Spirit in you, and if you don't have evidence of the Spirit in you, you may not be a Christian. Folks, though, a Christian is not perfect. Someone who claims to be a Christian ought to see a new mindset, new values, new inclinations, a new way of life. Though he still, he or she has the capacity to sin, he's not dominated by it. It's an exception, and it grieves him. So I end with this, two R's. <laughs> If you see evidence of the Spirit of God in you, you're thinking on things differently. You're like Johnny, you're like Judith, you're like Emily, not specifically their calling and area of service, but your whole life has changed. It's uh, centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. It manifests in care for others. If your thinking on these things is different, you have evidence of the Spirit of God in you. And here's the R for you. You ought to rejoice like crazy. You ought to say, saved, saved, saved to the uttermost. Oh, God, thank you. I'm inhabited by your spirit. This is the seal of salvation. Oh, God, I, my life is not explainable except that you moved in. See, if Johnny and Judith Emily could explain what they're doing on the basis of something other than conversion, then they don't have a 
assurance of salvation. But if they say, I never saw myself doing stuff like that. I'm not playing with funny colored soccer balls and going into some school with a bunch of kids who sneeze and have cooties and stuff like that. I'm not making dresses out of bed sheets that someone slept on. I'm not writing books on this, that, the other. Their lives can only be explainable by the fact that the Spirit of God has taken up his abode in their life. And those are evidences for them of assurance of salvation. For he will never leave or forsake us. That's the R for the Christian. Rejoice. But if you're not seeing the things I've spoken about, the R for you is repent. And that means change your direction. You've got to get a new mind. And you can't get it by willpower, self-help books, or therapy. You need the mind of Christ implanted in you. So we call it to be born again. For you, uh, what's called upon is repentance. I have got to turn from my self-centeredness. I'm mastered by it. I'm dead to the things of the God who made me. I don't know who he is. I don't know what his desires are. I don't know what he has for me. I don't know what he wants me to do and think and be. I am dead to the very God who made me for you the word is repent turn from self to savior folks I wish I could make this complicated because then you'd be interested but because it's so simple many turn away here's what it is Lord Jesus I'm physically dead but uh, alive but spiritually dead it's because sin which separates me from you and I can't stop doing it it feels good and it's all I know I need outside help Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive my sin. Grant me forgiveness because I owe a debt I cannot pay. I fear you because I'm accountable to you and I don't have a leg to stand on. Would you give me a defense? Oh, God, I accept the fact that you paid the penalty for my sin by becoming enfleshed and suffering an excruciating death on a cross on my behalf. I accept that. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Change me from the inside out. Put me on a new track. I need a new mindset, a new orientation, a new bent. I need new values, new thinking, a new orientation. I need your mind, oh God. I repent, I turn from me, I turn to you. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Which is it? Rejoice if you're a Christian. Repent if you're not yet a Christian. We're going to give you a chance later tonight to visit with wonderful people in the Connection Center. It's a room right behind us. And there you can pour out your heart to people who know exactly what you're talking about, even if you don't have the vocabulary. And they will help you to connect with the God who you know is there. But that's all you know about him. (laughs) You don't know what he wants. You don't know what he values. You don't know where you stand with him. Those folks will help you connect. Rejoice. If the Spirit of God dwells in you and you have evidence thereof, repent if that has not yet happened. Lord Jesus, this is serious business. Life, ours, depend on it. If we don't get this right, we're going to be wrong about life now and then. Oh God, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would see to it that those who know you leave rejoicing. It's not a matter of flaws and difficulties and all the rest. It's a matter of being inhabited by your spirit now and forevermore. What a cause for rejoicing. And for those who are not yet connected to you, 
who are filled with flesh, but not your very presence in their lives, I pray they would turn, repent from self to Savior, even tonight. What a difference, oh God, you would make in their lives. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.